Good morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, about the same verse we were last time we were together. Yeah. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. I hope it's not a train. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Are you liking the cooler mornings? Okay, there's some yes and some drop dead. <laughs> All right. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Actually, for I know uh, whom I have believed. I missed that phrase. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Brother Brian, would you ask the Lord's help in Sunday school? Amen. Now, Paul, he knows something. He says, for I know, and it sounds like he's pretty sure about it. Good to see you all this morning. And he's got confidence, and you and I should have confidence in the Word of God right in our lap. And, uh, and this world has confidence in its system, but you and I know that this world system is junk. Amen? Garbage. And, uh, and the, you find out the more you trust in the world system, the more disappointed you become. For whatever reason, there's a draw, there's a magnetism to the world, to the world system, and uh, therefore, as a Christian, the only and proper attitude towards this world is what? It's negative. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Uh, Christian, you have to be on guard uh, against your attitude <clears throat> uh, towards the world system. And generally, when you hear somebody say you need to watch your attitude, that's because they're tired of you having a negative attitude. But let me encourage you this morning to go ahead and have a negative attitude towards the world. Amen. Let me just encourage you this morning just to have a drop-dead, nasty, bad attitude about this world. Amen. Doesn't that just, it just like sounds like, can he really be saying that and it be right? Right? Well, don't worry about what I say. Look at verse 4. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver, deliver us from this beautiful, wonderful, man-is-it-gorgeous world. And in the world of one feller, what a wonderful world, right? What a piece of garbage. <laughs> That's your wake-up call. You're in church now. <laughs> this present evil world. You know how much I hate this world? Uh, not enough. Not enough. You know how much you hate this world? Not enough. Uh, sometimes Christians are secretly in love with the world. <laughs> Demas was. Uh, he forsook Paul. They, uh, they're lovers of the world. And it didn't say that Demas forsook Jesus Christ. Demas forsook his leader, and that was Paul. Paul was the one that uh, those uh, young preacher boys were serving under, and Paul was blazing a path like a stomp. And uh, he got tired of it, and he fell in love with the world. That's what the Bible says. And uh, I I'm here just to tell you, you should have a bad attitude about the world. 
Good morning. <laughs> I just let that drop, you know, kind of like dropping the mic. Uh, this world has nothing to offer you. I know you know this, but it's good to hear it again, right? Didn't the Bible say the preacher's job is to reprove? And that's just tell you what's wrong with everything. You ever, you ever hear preaching, you're like, oh, he ever does. Just tell me what's wrong with the world. Well, that's pretty good preaching. Now, if he, all of you ever you get stuck in that gear, that could become a rut. I understand that. But there's, trust me, there is not enough preachers this day in the rut of reproof. Matter of fact, uh, most preachers are like, you, they're just so sickly sweet and honey and cream. And, you know, kind of reminds me of just eating about 12 of them French honey cruller donuts. So sickly, you know. There's something about them donuts there, them honey crullers, is that what they're called? It's like you're eating air. You're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It must just be me, you know. At any rate, but you ought to have a uh, you ought to have confidence in the word of God. You have a, have confidence in your salvation. You have a confidence in the Lord. And when you see the, the writers of the New Testament, like Peter, James, John, and Paul, right, they're all confident. And the tenor of Christianity today is like, I'm not real sure, and I hope so, and I think so, and maybe so. And we've been running some verses, and I do have about six, six or eight left. I, wanna, I want you to see these. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, you ought to know some things, just like the writers of the New Testament. You ought to be confident. And one of the, uh, one of the identifying factors of the Laodicean Christian is he has no confidence in the Bible he's been given because the Bible he's been given has been taken away. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now that's important for you to understand. If you go out of here and you have confidence in the Lord and confidence in the Bible, you're one of the few. And that's a good thing. I guess the question I have while we're looking at these scriptures is, do you have enough wherewithal within you to pass that on to something else? Here we're going to get into that in 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Corinthians 11. I can't even find the verse, but I have confidence that I will. <laughs> Amen, brother. Sometimes if you wouldn't laugh, if you wouldn't laugh, I'd probably go home and cry. <clears throat> now look what he says here. Look at verse 16. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord. But as it were foolishly, in this confidence of boasting. So Paul, he's kind of going off the rails just a little bit here. But even in his boasting, he's confident. You see what I mean? Everything Paul did, he had a confident tenor about it. And as a Christian, if you're doing what God wants you to do, you ought to be confident about it. You say, well, I believe the Lord wants me here. Well, amen. Well, be confident about it. Don't let anybody shake you out of that stuff. Believe you got the right Bible? Amen. Then read it and study it. Memorize it. Commit it to memory. Why? A workman that needeth not be ashamed. And the reason Christians are ashamed and unsure and unsettled and unsolidified and all the rest of that stuff, they don't have confidence in what God gave them. They don't have confidence in God himself. They think God's like a genie. And every so often you see God's real good to you and me. And they think uh, if, the, if, the, if the Christian persists in prayer, he can reach up and rub the Lord's belly and the Lord will grant him a few wishes. That's not how the Lord works. He's your father to take care of you. Uh, look at uh, Galatians chapter 5. Confidence. He says, I know whom I have believed. I know. And when you talk to people about the Lord, you ought to talk about him confidently. 
Bible says Galatians chapter 5, verse 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord. So that's how you have confidence. You don't have confidence in your flesh. Paul says, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. But you have confidence in other believers through the Lord. You ever just, you ever got burnt? You ever got uh, let down by believers? And you're like, well, phooey, that ain't going to happen again. <laughs> you have confidence in people through the Lord, and when the, when the people don't follow through on their commitment or do what they're supposed to, it's not your fault. <laughs> you still have confidence in other believers. That shows a sign of maturity. Doesn't Paul say, hopeth all things, believeth all things, endureth all things? That's maturity. That's charity. And he says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you'll be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever be. Let's look at another one, Ephesians chapter 3. It's my desire as your preacher to help put as much confidence through this book as I ever could do. It's my desire to have a church with people in it that are confident about the book that's in their lap, if it's the King James Bible. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. And listen, Christian, if you don't have confidence in this book, and I'm not tooting my own horn here, but if you don't have confidence in this book, it's not because of my preaching. It's because you put the thing on the shelf and let the dust collect, and you're not getting in it, you're not studying it. 3.12, the Bible says, in whom, talking about Jesus Christ, and that goes back up to verse 8, uh, in whom uh, we have boldness and access with confidence, by the faith of him, not only confidence, but you got boldness and access. Isn't that a blessing to have boldness? Uh, that's what you need when you deal with other people, isn't it? You need boldness. When you're dealing with somebody else about their soul, you have boldness. Why? Because we have a, we, we uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We naturally incline unto timidity, right? We're like, oh, oh. I mean, if it was like, hey, how are them tigers doing? <laughs> who knows and who cares, right? But, uh, yeah, this weather is something else. You know, I'll tell you what, and so forth and so on. Or if it's in your line of scope of work, and, yeah, I do this, and I deal with this every day, and you're just like you're just throwing out facts and figures and just confident, and all of a sudden you get on that spiritual van, and you're like, ooh. You know, it says, yeah, have confidence. Got to have boldness. Pray for boldness. Pray for power. Uh, that's, that's what the writers of the New Testament had. How do you think Paul could, at the end of his ministry and in the middle of his ministry, said it twice, uh, I'm, pu I'm, free from, I'm pure from the blood of all men? That's pretty bold, isn't it? I mean, can you say that? I mean, in 50 years of me being on this earth, close to 50 years, ain't no, no way, man. No way. But you ought to have confidence. You ought to have confidence. You ought to have boldness. Uh, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. A few more. A few more. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Christianity that you possess is not a timid one. And that's another reason why you need to be militant in your Christianity, just like you should be negative in your approach to this world. Because if you're not militant in your Christianity, you'll let things go, you'll let it slip. And you'll begin accepting things you have no business accepting, you start messing around with things you have, and that's why you have to stay on guard, you have to be sober, you have to be vigilant. For your adversary the devil walketh the mouth as a roaring lion. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, or 2 Thessalonians, rather. Look at verse 4. Paul says, And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we commanded you. He's even got confidence in the brethren doing what he told them to do. Now, that's a real preacher right there. 
Um, times as a preacher, I've preached messages and I've walked away and says, well, that went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> well, who cares how it went over? I can't see your hearts. I can't see whether you received the message or not. Maybe you went home and you were so quiet because you've been tore up all week and maybe the Lord's using that thing, right? I mean, don't you believe God uses a preacher? I mean, if you don't, why are you here, right? Stay home. <laughs> you can't tell how it's received. But Paul, here's, Paul he's, he's pretty much going on Paul the aged here. And he's got confidence in saints that they're going to do the right thing, do the right thing. Well, that's a great thing. Have confidence in other Christians who will do the right thing. You say, well, you don't know them, and you don't either. All you know is what you see. Well, they sure do got a good history of messing things up. Amen, and so do you. <laughs> you ought to have confidence in them through the Lord. Amen? Every once in a while, it wouldn't hurt for you to give them a little bit of the confidence that you have. You ever stop and think maybe Christians would be a little bit farther off if you gave them a little bit of your own street cred? You know what street cred is, right? I mean, the street cred is, uh, you know, the social skills and the standing that you think you have amongst the brethren, so forth. Well, I know. Oh, stop being all humble. But some of you, you can carry your weight in a conversation, you know. Uh, you've read your Bible for 20 years, so forth and so on. You know things about the Bible. Just put a little bit of your own honor on them. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Amen. I mean, some of these uh, Christians that haven't been around as long as others have, just go ahead and be a blessing to them. You know, treat them like you're your equal. I mean, after all, Paul says, in honor of preferring one another. That's it. Having confidence. How about Philippians chapter 1? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Philippians 1, 21. I know, I know, I know. Now, you, uh, you get some confidence. You the. You do whatever you need to for the Lord. Look here, uh, 121. That's not the one I want. All right, skip that one. 121. No, that's not the one I wanted. Thank you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue, that I sh uh, shall abide and continue uh, with you all through furtherance and joy of faith. Paul's got plenty of confidence in his converts. Amen. And it doesn't matter how many people you've witnessed to or won to the Lord, uh, they're not all going to turn out the way you think they do. Amen. I've won a handful of people to the Lord, and uh, you say, where are they at? In the Lord's care. You're not my sheep. Y'all are not my sheep either, by the way. You're the Lord's sheep. <laughs> you know, I have confidence. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you'll do what the Lord wants you to do. Uh, look at look at just a couple ones from 1 John. It wasn't just Paul. Paul wasn't just the exception to the rule. Now we know when it comes to credentials and uh, pedigree and academia that Paul was an exception. Amen? Uh, I think we'd also agree, uh, uh, I'm not trying to mess around with the Pauline obsession as church history calls it, uh, but I would think there's, a, there's some exceptions uh, in life. I'd say Dr. Ruckman would be exception when it comes to academia. Amen? Uh, he's very intelligent. And Paul said, not many mighty, not many noble. Amen? Uh, I remember hearing him say that he, uh, he could read 700 words a minute. And I remember one time going, that's it. I'm going to learn to read 700 words a minute. I had about 215. I'm like, forget this, man. <laughs> you know, 700 words a minute, uh, it is, that's a 700 words a minute, man. 
I mean, when I put Scorby on one and a half, that's fast. You know what I mean? He actually sounds like an Irishman instead of an Englishman. <laughs> you know, I can, I can go, yeah, I don't know how, how they do that, but the 1.2, the normal voice range, is, is good for me. Like, everything else is too slow. And God created the heaven. And I'm like, 1.2 at least, or I'm going to sleep, you know. Or if you want to move through some books and Audible or whatever, that's like 1.2. 1.5, I'm struggling a little bit, you know. Because you need to be focused on driving, you know. <laughs> throwing that out there. But, um, and anyways, not many mighty, not many noble. Look at First John chapter 2. But it wasn't just Paul. And in case you think Paul was just an exception to the rule, he was a man born out of due time. Amen? God picked him and chose him and used him for his honor and his glory. Look at 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 28. Notice the tenor of John's speech. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Aha! So now you see why some Christians lack confidence. And that's because they're not in fellowship with Jesus Christ. If you're not in fellowship with Jesus Christ, you lack confidence. So when Paul says, I know whom I have believed, he writes it from a state of being in fellowship with God under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what's going to strengthen your confidence as a believer is being in fellowship. That's why he says, abide in him. Look at 3, chapter 3, verse 21. Same book. 3.21. He says, beloved... If our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. All right, I'll give you one more. Five, chapter 5, verse 14. 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Ain't that something? That's good confidence. We'll preach a little bit about that this morning. And the fact is, is God called you to do something, uh, the only reason you won't accomplish it is if you were to quit. Think about that. You ever stop and think what God wants you to do with your life? Well, first of all, please Him. Amen? Walk and please Him more and more. Well, the only reason you wouldn't do that is if you quit. I mean, He's not going to give you something to do that you can't accomplish. It's easy to think, oh, I can't do what God wants me to do. Well, that's because you quit. But Paul had confidence. Uh, look at Psalm 27.3. Here's another one. Not just New Testament, but how about Old Testament? Psalm 27.3. That's David. Psalm 27.3. He said, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Uh, though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. He's talking about uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. For whom shall I be afraid? Man, I've quoted that verse so many times being up in trees. <laughs> the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This big old oak tree. <laughs> All right, that's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Even Peter says, I know in Acts chapter 12, verse 11. I mean, confidence. You ought to have confidence. And Paul says, for I know whom I have believed. Do you know whom you have believed? Amen. That's why you're here this morning, isn't it? He, uh, and he says, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. All right, so we put it back on you. Do you believe that when you ask Jesus Christ to save you, that he's able to keep you? 
Amen. Uh, take, take your Bible, go over to the book of Jude. That's the second last book of the Bible, right before Revelation. Do you really think Jesus Christ is able to keep you? You say, Preacher, why in the world would you say that? Because I want to get you to think for a minute. And uh, if, he, if he's able to keep you, which he is, amen, says he is. Paul said he knew it. But uh, if he's able to keep you, what is he able to keep you from? Look at verse 24. He says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. So he can keep you from falling. Isn't that a blessing? You don't have to go into this week and go, well, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and fall. He can keep you from falling. Amen. He can keep you from falling. But when you're saved, he's going to present you faultless to the Father. And on top of that, the verse says with exceeding joy. Now, how is he able to do that? How in the world is he able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the Father with exceeding joy? All right, turn to Romans 8. I'll show you. There's something else Paul said. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 31. Bible says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And that's a good way to start your morning. <laughs> Have a negative attitude towards the world. Amen. Present evil world. And realize that God can keep you from falling and present you faultless. And just realize if everyone else is against you, God's for you. Amen. That's part of a, what do they call it? Perfectly balanced breakfast. Uh, verse uh, 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up uh, for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for you. realize that right now that the Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. You say, how's it going? <laughs> I don't know. It's up there. Oh, Lord, uh, help Evans there. You don't blow it and think he actually knows something when he doesn't. Help him to rely on me and help him to, you know, speak clearly and avoid as much pop culture as possible. Amen. Lord, Lord help him just to preach how he should preach and help him not to trust in his uh, perceived vocal. Just help him to trust me, Lord. And I was like, okay. He says, verse... Uh, 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. There it is again. You see it? Persuaded. He's confident. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul is persuaded that God is able to keep him. And nothing to keep you from the Lord. Ain't no doubt when you got saved, God can keep you. You can't lose your salvation. Paul nails it right down there. And nothing can separate you from the love of God. You, say, you ask this question, well, okay, he can keep me. How long can he keep me? Well, look at uh, back to our, our verse. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, how long can he keep me? Paul says that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And that day is the day of Jesus Christ. And that begins with the rapture and goes all the way through. All the way through. Uh, now let's uh, move past uh, verse number 12 and actually hit verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 13. Paul says to Timothy, hold fast the form of sound words. Now a form is a pattern. I'll say it again, a form is a pattern. He says, hold the form of sound words, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. All right, this thing about holding fast the form of sound words, it's like holding on to the Bible. It's like grasping hold of the Bible and not letting it go. Taking a hold of that book and not letting anybody take it from you. Amen? That's what he's talking about. Uh, let me give you some reference. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 5. You need to hang on to that book that's in your lap and never let it go. Be careful about how much dust you let get on that Bible of yours. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the number one sin, I heard a preacher say a long time ago, the number one sin in America is not drunkenness, is not nakedness, is not smoking, is not messing around. It is the lack of Bible reading. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Paul says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Now, in your Christian life, you have to learn some things, and you have to get a hold of that which is good. And uh, you might think something is good and find out later it's just not very good for you. Well, then you need to let it go and find what's good. I mean, the Lord allows for U-turns. The Lord allows for lane changes. The Lord allows you to continually grow, and you ought to be growing. If you're the same place you were when you got saved, that means you never grew. You should be constantly growing. If, you can, if you've been uh, saved for however many years and you say, well, my convictions are the same as they were when I got saved, you never grew. Mine changed. Mine even changed this last year. Say, what are they? None of your business. <laughs> Amen? None of your business. You ought to change. Why? Because you can be continually formed in the image of Jesus Christ. You sit here and tell me that God wants you to be the exact same for 30 years. Uh, maybe on sound doctrine, yes. Maybe on your stand on the Bible. But even your stand on the Bible, the closer you get to him, don't you get a little bit more bold with your stand? Isn't it continually changing more to please him? You see what I'm saying? It's like holding on to the Bible and not changing. He says, hold fast that which is good. You've got to learn that. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, or verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. <clears throat> Just some good verses on holding fast, holding fast. And Christian, you ought to hold fast. Hang on to things. Now here's the spiritual application here. It's to Israel, so but Christ is the son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. Now we don't have to hold fast uh, any kind of confidence to get our salvation. And this has to do with the tribulation deal here. And it's, uh, it's uh, obligatory. But you need to learn as a Christian to hold fast and hold firm into the end. Hold firm into the end. Amen. When you're uh, in your 40s, you need, to, you need to be holding faster than you were in your 20s. When you're in your 60s, you need to be holding faster and more firm than you were in your 50s. I'll look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. 
I like old timers. I really do. You say, why? They got something that our generation doesn't. Amen? Now, look, and I don't worship old timers, but I'm telling you what, if you want to learn something, you get, you, you get yourself an old timer and you shut up a while. That's the problem with our generation. We can't shut up. Always have to be talking. Everything's got to be about us. Now, that, now that's one of the reasons you know why this generation is so ignorant. Because they got to be the ones in every picture. I notice this even uh, with a little bit of sports that I watch. Uh, everyone, after every time they score or they win a game, they're gathering for selfies. I'm like, dude, you're like all over national television with how many thousands of cameras, and yet you've got to get yet one more. As if to preserve this moment in time forever. You know? Whoa. What does that even mean? They're ignorant. But uh, you can get a hold of an old timer and shut up long enough and get him talking. That's the whole thing. Old timer gets around a young, uh, young fella, and most of them are probably suspicious of the youngster. <laughs> like, why is this flea hanging around me, you know? <laughs> because the old timer's been burnt. But if you can get around an old timer that's uh, worth shooting sideways and learn to shut up long enough, they'll teach you something. And, uh, but you ought to hold fast your confidence. You ought to hold firm to the end. Hebrews 10.23, look what he says. Paul says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Without wavering. That's good. Amen. You ought not to waver as a Christian. A lot of Christians wavering. I think of the word waver, I think about a flag just flapping in the breeze. These Christians are flapping like chickens these days. Uh, and they do whatever they want. I look at Titus 1.9. You say, you're, uh, you're sounding like you uh, got it all down. I didn't say that. I said, listen, when it comes to your confidence, you ought to learn to uh, hold fast on some things, especially that book. Now, listen, we get to the judgment seat of Christ. There's going to be plenty of things to get taken care of, amen, plenty of laundry to be done, but it ought never to be about that book because if you get rid of that book, you're done. You'll go no farther, the Bible says. Titus 1.9, one of the greatest verses in the Bible says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by a sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Ain't that something? Holding fast the faith. What a great verse. Holding fast. When was the last time you held fast to that book? I mean, made sure that you didn't leave without it. Now, you turn the car around, come back for your cell phone. Amen. Can't miss that. But how about your Bible? Well, you know, I got it on my phone. That's why I go to get my phone. Well, all right. Okay, whatever. But you ought to hold fast the faithful word. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 13. Just running some verses on holding fast. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 13. Solomon says, Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Now that's an interesting one. That's a good preaching message right there. And Christian, you ought, to get, you ought to take fast hold of instruction. Here's the thing. I'll say this to you, not just because I'm your preacher. You need to figure out who you need to get instruction from. And if it's from your preacher, you need to take fast hold of that thing. And if it's not me, then you need to find someone to get underneath. Because if you're going to do what God wants you to do, it's going to be done through a local church. None of this parachurch garbage. God's not in that stuff. God's not in that stuff outside the, the local church. Amen? Take fast hold of instruction. So the, the challenge to this one becomes, uh, who am I going to take instruction from? 
And uh, once you uh, realize who you're going to take instruction from, that Bible says, let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. You know what I know right now? I know that the Lord wants me to take instruction from a certain preacher. I know that. And, uh, and if he gives me counsel, I need to take it. You say, were you a stinking robot? You don't know how to think for yourself? No, that's not it at all. It has to do that God uses men. Don't you believe that? Uh, that's why when you get into some kind of special meeting, you know, this uh, for years you've always heard this or possibly have heard it. Uh, well, you know, I didn't tell him anything that was going on in the church. And uh, he, just, he just came in and he just, he just preached exactly what we need to hear. Well, praise the Lord. I mean, you can play the lottery and win a million bucks too if you're lucky. But wouldn't you like to know what's going on if you're a preacher? I mean, doesn't God use men? What if you come in and you're a preacher, you're God's man, God's preacher, and you preach the best one, and you totally miss what that church needs, right? <laughs> I mean, as a preacher, you're going to hit it 100% every time? I'm saying you've got to learn to take fast hold of instruction, figure out who you're supposed to take it from, and not let it go. And that means submitting yourself unto the person given the instruction as well as the Bible. All right, now it says, for uh, keep her, for she is thy life. And uh, a good reference to uh, that thing about holding fast would be Shemaiah. Remember David's mighty men, Shemaiah? And he was, uh, I can't remember where that place is at, but he's down there and he's swinging the sword, you know, like He-Man, master of the universe there, and chopping off arms and heads and limbs and all that. And that Bible says that he was, he fought so hard, he fought so long, that that sword, it just became his hand. He couldn't let it go. Man, that ought to be you in that book. <laughs> You're so closely connected to that book, you can't let it go if you try. And when you talk to people, they're like, man, you were stinking talking Bible. Right? That's why some people don't like you. Because you eat and breathe that book. And then when you talk, it comes out. And then people begin to equivocate you with that book. All right, and uh, that's Shammai. He's a what, son of Dodo, a whole height. <laughs> Amen. Now, Paul, before he goes into a charge here for Timothy, he's going to charge Timothy some things here uh, in uh, 2 Timothy 2. But before he does, he's going to tell Timothy about some things that are happening around him. And uh, first of all, uh, he's uh, beginning here. Uh, the last part of chapter 1, he's going to tell Timothy, he says, uh, there's going to be some people uh, that are going to ditch you. That's what he's going to tell them. And you need to remember that. There's going to be people that are going to ditch you. Uh, there are going to be people that will leave you, but there's always going to be some people that will love you. Amen? And there are always people that will leave you, and there are always people be, that, that love you. So ain't no sense in quitting. Amen? I mean, some of you have been in this thing uh, all your life, and no sense getting out of the, out of the water now, amen? <laughs> it's just that you're like up to here, and it'd be too hard to get out. So no sense in quitting. Might as well go on. Look at verse 14. Uh, that good thing which is committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Uh, so if you see that, the Holy Ghost dwells in us. Now look at verse 15. Here are some that are going to leave you. And you also get later in 2 Timothy about those that were here but uh, are now gone. That's, that's, the, that's the ministry, though. And if you're, uh, you're going to go to church just because someone else goes to church, then you're going to church for the wrong reason. Amen? You need to go to church for you. You know? You need to make sure that the, the reason you're going to church is because you need something. 
you need to go to church for you. Enjoy the fellowship, amen. But do it because you get to do it because it helps you. Do it because it's the place that Christians meet. Right? I mean, if this is Bible Believers Baptist Church of Tower City, this is the local church. This is, the, this is a local representation of the body of Christ. We're not the only one. You know, we're not the only uh, starfighter in the fleet, you know what I mean? I understand that. I'm not stupid and so obtuse not to think that other churches in this community don't preach the gospel of Jesus. I'm not that stupid. But if this is where God wants you, amen, then be here like you are. <laughs> amen. And uh, you ought to meet because it's the place where Christians meet. And if this, this is the place where Christians meet, like the old preacher said, this would be the most likely place that the Lord would show up, right? It's kind of like Thomas. He didn't come for the evening service. Remember that? And the Lord shows up, and Thomas like, no, I don't believe it. Because the Lord can't show up unless I'm there, right? Isn't that true? Well, I don't think the Lord could show up if I wasn't there. Okay, buster. <laughs> All right, knock yourself out. But you ought to go to church because it's a place where Christians meet. You ought to go to church uh, because why? Church is the pillar and the ground of truth. You know what the Bible says? Church is the pillar and ground of truth, and if you ain't got no pillar... Not like the one you lay your head on. You ain't got no ground. How are you going to stand? You see, this church, this local representation of believers, if you go to church for the right reason, it will help you stand. It will. It will. And the church is something that Jesus Christ shed his own blood for. And uh, you and I, we're not going to be worth shooting sideways as a Christian if you won't get churchy. you got to get churchy. You say, well, I'd go to more, but, yes, I know all the, the hypocrites in the church, but listen, the reason you get frustrated and flustered by Christians is because that's who you hang out with. You don't hang out with worldly people. If you do, shame on you. But the reason you're so gun-shy around Christians is because that's your crowd. That's our crowd. I mean, unless you've got to work with the lost, and then you know how to handle those, you walk in wisdom towards them that are without, right? And you're smart about it, and you know if you hit your ham, hit you know thumb with a hammer, you don't cuss too loud, right? Because you don't want them to hear you telling your bad jokes and cussing and acting like a lost person. But the reason you uh, are always gun shy around Christians because that's your crowd. This is our crowd. Uh, some some of us need to let that sink in a little bit. Uh, Dr. Ruckman said he spent his entire ministry running from his enemies just knowing that he's going to spend eternity with them. <laughs> if that's the truth, all the people that have hurt you, all the people that have cussed you and crossed you and done you wrong and stabbed you in the back. Actually, Christians don't stab each other in the back. They stab each other in the heart. You get to spend eternity with them. <laughs> so you just spend your whole life running from your enemies. Amen. Makes sense to me. Run from them. Why? Don't stand and fight them. Waste of time. Love them. Pray for them if the Lord so leads, <laughs> and run from them. All right, that was a little rant. Praise the Lord. Now look here in verse 15. This will help you out. The Bible said, This thou knowest that they all that which were in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. Sounds like jello. Anyways, so there's people that are leaving Paul. You see that? That's a constant theme in the Scriptures. People will ditch you. Especially if you're a preacher, people ditch you for whatever's on sale. 
people ditch you and people leave you. And it goes, it all goes, that's why Christians have a hard time with that thing. Now here are the ones that love them. Show up right behind the ones that leave them in verse 16. The Lord give mercy in the house of Anesiphorus. Notice, notice the ratio. It's two to one. Two to one will leave you, but one will love you. That's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good ratio. Amen? So you say, what do I do? It's terrible. You know, two left and one. Okay, praise the Lord for the one that loves you. Amen. The Lord give mercy in the house of Anesiphorus, for he offered fresh me and was not ashamed of my chain. Uh, notice, uh, notice the ones that love Paul. They're refreshing. If somebody loves you, they will refresh you. That's refreshing just to read that, isn't it? Somebody loves you, they will refresh you. And you know what? Not just once in a while, according to that verse. Verse 16 says, for he oft refreshed me. That's someone that really loves you if they try to refresh you. So he comes around quite a bit. You ever do that to some people? Just try to refresh them? Try to encourage them? And uh, I can think a couple people come to my mind. They don't go to this church. They're saved. But I try to refresh them, and it, it seems like it doesn't work. But, uh, you know, they'll text back, oh, thanks for the journey, blah, 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 and all that stuff. And, okay, man. But so uh, this uh, fellow, House uh, of Horus, comes around quite a bit. He's not ashamed of Paul's chain. Look at verse 17. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently. Now, the funny thing about this is Anesiphorus, he lived in Ephesus. He lived in Ephesus, and uh, that's chapter 4 in verse 19. He says, salute Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Because that thing's written to Timothy, and he's the bishop. He's the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And uh, just a little geography lesson, Rome and Ephesus by foot, 28 hours apart. Do the math, right? <laughs> Carry the one, <laughs> all that. And although he lives in Ephesus, he ministers to Paul. And uh, Ephesus is in Asia Minor, and Rome's in Italy. So in verse 16, Anesiphorus ministered to Paul and refreshed Paul before he went to jail. And in verse 17 and 18, he ministered to Paul while he was in jail. Can you imagine ministering to a church like Paul did for 5 or 10 or 15 years, and then some having someone throw you in jail for preaching what you've been preaching for 5, 10, or 15 years, and then the people that you loved and put everything into... They, uh, they wouldn't even come and visit you. But Onesiphorus did. Found out old Paul was in jail. He loved Paul. Loved Paul's preaching and loved Paul for how he helped change his life and loved the Lord more. And he wasn't ashamed of Paul's chain. He ran all the way over there 28 hours, however long it took him. And uh, that'd be tough. I mean, go to jail and your wife not even come and see you? I don't know, maybe she needs a break from you, right? Because... <laughs> She'd be like, yeah, finally, you know what it's like. <laughs> Amen. In jail for all this time. Wife and kids don't even come see you. Friends not coming to see you. Uh, but someone that helped you down the... Think about this. As a preacher, sometimes you help people and you see them. They come in the church and they're real faithful for a while. And they seem to be growing. They seem to be getting better. And then they're gone. And you don't know what's going on with them. You don't know their life. You don't know where they're at now. See, preachers are, and I'm done here, preachers are weird birds because they think the moment you walk out the door of their church, you must be worshiping the devil. No, that's not it. They belong to Jesus. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. And if you're in the Father's care, the Lord can uh, fix your wagon. But uh, imagine helping people out and then no one coming to visit or anything. But here's a fellow that loves Paul and us, Sephora's. 
and uh, Paul says, man, he wasn't ashamed of my chain. He offered fresh me, so forth and so on. And that's a good fellow. Sure, thank God for those people. All right, we'll stop right there.